The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Confusing visions and stories, some well-known ones, Daniel in the lion's den, the the fiery furnace. And really what, what this book has been saying over and over again is really just one story, that God is the sovereign king who sits on the throne. That history is his story. And so as we look at these last two chapters, as confusing and descriptive as they may be, they're just going to be saying the same thing, that God is the sovereign king above all. It is he who sits on the throne. And so what I would love to do is I'd love for us to pray first before we get into that. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for your word that is living and active. God, that as we look at this text that was written thousands and thousands of years ago, that you would speak to us through it that we would see what you had for Daniel, what you had for the original audience who would be reading this, and what you have for us today. Because you're a God that transcends time and space. And so, Lord, would you open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to hear what you have for us this morning, that we might know you, your love for us in a deeper way, and that might change and transform us and help us to become more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, we didn't read all of chapter 11 there because there is a lot going on in this text. It's super descriptive. There, there is so much detail in this chapter that we just wouldn't have time and I wouldn't have time to break it all down for you. And so what, what we're going to do this morning is spend a little bit of time looking at what is actually happening. What is chapter 11 and a little bit of chapter 12 actually talking about? And then I want to spend the majority of our time going, okay, what's the point? Like, why was this vision given to Daniel, and what does that have for us today? And so right from the beginning, we, we hear about these kings of Persia, which we know was the Medo-Persian Empire. If you've, if you've been with us for a few weeks, we met them in chapter 2 and 7 and 8. And then we hear that they're, they're then conquered by uh, the, the Grecian Empire, which, if we remember from chapter 7 and 8 particularly, uh, was Alexander the Great. And so he comes in and defeats this uh, Medo-Persian uh, empire. And then we pick it up in verse 4. It says, As soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided towards the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to his authority which which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside these. And so if we remember back in chapters 7 and 8, when, when Alexander came on the scene, he came in, in speed and, and futility and just, just destroyed all those around him, but it was short-lived. And so he died at a super early age. And if you remember, we spoke about the fact that his, he didn't have an heir. And so his four generals actually took over. If you remember, this was the, the goat uh, with the four horns from chapter 8, the four generals that took over. And so what we read about in chapter 11 and primarily from, from verses 4 to 21, is these battles going on between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So the king of the north and the king of the south, and they're going to battle it out. And so from Alexander the Great, his four generals took over, and these, they've got really cool names. His na- one of them was Seleucus, Ptolemy, Lysimachus, and Cassander. These are the, the four generals that took over. And, and from these four generals, there was four empires that, that came about in the known region. And so what we read about here is really going to just be the king of the north, which is the Seleucid kingdom. The king of the north, which is this, is in Syria. And then the southern kingdom, which is the Ptolemaic dynasty, which are, they're in Egypt. And there's just going to be a battle going on between these two kingdoms for the entire uh, Daniel chapter 11. 
And so we might ask, okay, well, why so much information just on these two kingdoms, the battle between the north and the battle between the south? Well, if we look at this map that's going to come up here, the, the Seleucid kingdom of the north is going to be, yeah, you're on it, Steve, I love it. Uh, they're up the top there, and they're the Seleucid kingdom of the north. They're in Syria, and then the Ptolemaic kingdom are down here, and what is right between these two kingdoms is Jerusalem, is God's people, is God's holy land. And so why we hear so much description of these two kingdoms battling out is because God's people are affected. As they come to one another, they pass through God's holy land. In fact, we read a bit in chapter 11 of some of God's people join in the battle and they end up joining the wrong side and they get killed. And so there is so much description in here about these two kingdoms because God's people are effective and God cares about his people. And so he gives Daniel this description. And we need to remember, we're on this side of history. So we can look at this and go, oh, okay, that's clearly what's happening in the majority of this chapter. But Daniel wasn't. And this is super confusing for Daniel and for the the readers and the audience of his time. In fact, there is so much description and it is so accurate that it leaves biblical critics today to question, how did Daniel know this? In fact, they, they claim that this book must have been written after the fact. Because it is so accurate in all its description, it must have been written centuries later. And yet we have so much evidence that says, no, it was actually written prior. And so they're only left to either say, okay, well, we don't know how Daniel knew it because there's no way he could have. And we would say, yeah, there is no way he could have. Or it's divine inspiration. Or God has revealed this to Daniel. Like the amount of accurate prophecy that has been fulfilled in this chapter specifically, really the whole book of Daniel, but specifically chapter 11, leaves these people wondering, how is it possible? But we as Christians know that God is above time and space. He knows all things. And again, history is his. And so he reveals these battles towards Daniel because they affect his people. And so uh, we heard a little bit about what happened in these battles between the north and kingdom and the southern kingdom, between the king of the north and the king of the south. But really from verses 4 to 21 is this detailed recollection. And I'll just kind of summarize what happens. There's, there's battles going on. There's wars. They, the south comes down and they're winning for a while. But then the north comes back and they take over. And then the king of the south decides, you know what, I'm done with this. Let's make a peace treaty. And so the king of the north, what he does, he leaves his wife. And he goes and he marries the king of the south's daughter. But then his ex-wife is like, hey, that's not okay. And so she comes over and kills his new wife. And so he goes, wow, that's weird. I don't know how she died. So he goes back to his ex-wife, but she's still not happy. So she kills him. And it's just this completely messy situation. It's like desperate housewives cross with Hunger Games. It's this mess of empires and wives and kings battling it out. And it's just, we need to ask, like, what is going on here? Like, why is God revealing this to Daniel? And then we get to verse 21, and it kind of zooms in on this one king. As we read about before, it zooms in on this one king. I want to read it again from verse 21. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up an abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flatteries those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. That is important for us to remember. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, 
Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is complete. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of the hands, Edom, Moab's and the main parts of the Ammonites. And he shall pitch his palatial tent between the seas of the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. And so it zooms in as one king of the north from the Seleucid dynasty. And we've actually, we've met this king before. If you recall back in chapter 8, from the four horns, this little horn came. And this is the same man we're meeting again, this little horn that we said was Antiochus Epiphanes. This brutal monster of a man who just came in tyrannically and just destroyed all of the Jews who obeyed the Bible. In fact, he, he, he comes down to try and defeat the, the southern kingdom, but he doesn't win the battle. And so on his way back, he stops in at Jerusalem and just takes out his anger on God's people. And if you remember, we said that he came into the temple and what he did was he actually slaughtered a pig on the altar of God and started sprinkling blood everywhere. And then he sets up this statue of Zeus. He was an incredibly bad man, devastating towards God's people and God's holy land. God's holy land. And he sets up a statue of Zeus. And remember, we, we spoke about him, but what we also said about Antiochus Epiphanes was that whilst he was a real, physical, historical man, he pointed to one who was to come. He was a foreshadow of one who was to come. Antiochus was a prefigure of the Antichrist. And so as we read this detail here in chapter 11, from about chapters 35, it's a bit unclear, but somewhere in this chapter, we transition from the historical person of Antiochus to the one who is to come known as the Antichrist. And so there is going to be a dual fulfillment as we move on through the rest of this chapter. But the Antichrist will come as we read and he will rule and reign over the earth for a time. For a time, times, and half a time. We, we said it was three and a half years. And so there will be this trouble and this tribulation for God's people. And so as Daniel is hearing this, like this is super discouraging, right? He's hearing about the fact that God's people are not yet out of the woods when it comes to hard times and suffering. They've just been in exile. Now they've, they've come out of exile. And yet there is in the future just more troubles and more hardships because of these two kingdoms fighting. And then in the end of ends, at the end of all days, there's going to be more trouble and more tribulation. And then Daniel's just sitting here going, Look, what, what is happening? Why is all this? Like this would have been incredibly discouraging, right, for Daniel? Or maybe not. Or maybe not, because what Daniel has seen every single day of his life is God's goodness and sovereign work in and through him. Every single day, Daniel has seen God sovereignly at work, rescuing and saving and redeeming and providing for him. And so for this, Daniel's like, okay, there is hard times to come for my people. That's not great, but God, what are you doing? Because I know you are at work, because I know you are sovereign above all things. And so as we read this, it doesn't mean times are not going to be hard, but it means that God is working, that God is in control, that God is moving. And as we look at the world we're in today, we can already experience more of this 
troubled times. Like the hostility towards church at the moment, the hostility towards faith, the hostility towards righteous and holy living, the hostility towards truth as an objective reality, it's all under attack. And we face this as we go into our workplaces, we go into our schools even. Our kids are being taught things that are scary. But as we read this, we see Daniel saying, hey, we don't need to worry. We don't need to fear. Why? Because God is in control. Because he is a sovereign king who sits on the throne. And again and again and again, that is what this book is screaming at us. And so our hope is in the fact that God is sovereign. Because we are all going to face hard times. Whether you're a Christian or not in this room, the promise is that we're all going to go through tough times in this life. But the story of the Bible is with God. It's not pointless. Like it's not meaningless. Our trouble and our tribulations, the suffering and pain that we face is not pointless. Every tear that we shed is meaningful. There is a reason behind every suffering that we face, every cry of our hearts. Like it's not pointless. Like if you're in here this morning, you have had a hard time in life already. You have faced some form of suffering. There are people in here who have just come out of some of the hardest times in their life. There are some in here right now who are currently in the midst of excruciating and painful moments. And for all of us, there is a time to come and we know hard times ahead. But none of it is pointless. With God, he is working in all of it for our good and his glory. Whether we believe it or not, whether we can see it or not, it's true. And this is what Daniel is being shown. Hey, all these hard times are coming for God's people. But it's not pointless because God is working in and through it. Because we read it, we read again in verse 32, it says, But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Like that's a promise for those who know God. You shall stand firm. In fact, then you shall take action. And it says, And the wise among the people shall make many understand. Church, God is going to use our suffering and our hard times for his glory and our good and bring people into the kingdom. As we look at this this passage about the Antichrist in the end times, there is going to be thousands of Christians who are going to suffer. In fact, we read about it in Revelation that many, many, many will be martyred. And because of their martyrdom, thousands more will enter the kingdom of God. That God is using every moment, every ounce of our pain and our suffering for his glory and his kingdom advancement. And so none of it is pointless. Like it's not. Sometimes we feel in the midst of our suffering, like what is God doing? Why would he allow me to go through this? And most of the time we don't get an answer. But he's using it. He is. And how many of us in the midst of our suffering go, I don't know how I could possibly get through this without God. Like, I don't know how non-Christians do it. Like, we're just given up. Because life can be hard. And so the hope for Christians, the hope for those who read this, is that God is at work in our pain. God is at work in our troubles, in our tribulations, in our trials. That he is doing something. It is not meaningless. It is not pointless. There is a purpose to the pain. And so church, wherever you are in one of those categories this morning, whatever hard times you're facing, Our hope is in a God who is sovereign above all things, who rules and reigns. And so there is a purpose. God is using it. 
God is using it to advance his kingdom, to bring more people into his kingdom. He's using it to shape us more into the image of his son. He's using it to, to make people have deeper faith in a God who is good and loves them and to show us that he is with us in it all. And so not only is our hope as Christians the fact that our pain is not pointless, our hope is that in the end, God is redeeming all things. Not that just that our tears have a meaning, but that one day God will come back. He will return again and wipe away every tear. That there'll be no more death. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more anxiety, no more depression, no more hurt, no more loneliness, no more poverty. Like that is the promise. That is the hope at the end of all days. And because of that, we can walk as Christians different to the rest of the world. The way that we face our troubles, the way that we face our trials now is so different because we have a hope beyond the grave. And this is the story that Daniel's being shown here. Yes, there is tough times. Those are going to come and ramp havoc on God's people, be brutally murdered. In fact, at the end of all days, it's just going to increase and heighten this tribulation period where thousands upon thousands of Christians will be brutally murdered. But we have a hope beyond the grave. That death can't touch us. And so Daniel, he faces things differently. And so not only do we have this hope for now that our pain isn't pointless, we have a hope for tomorrow. And I want to reread it. We see it in chapter 12. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, speaking about the end of all days, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting content. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Church, in the end, we shall be delivered. For those who place their trust and faith in Jesus, and your name is written in the book, you shall be delivered. Like that's the promise for our Christians. That's our future hope. And it is secure in Christ. We have been saved by grace. If you're a Christian this morning, your name is written in the book. And so not only does that help us face our hardship differently, it gives us a hope in the midst of it. The point of Daniel, the point of this final revelation is there is hope for God's people. Like we should be the most hope-filled people in this world because what happens in this world can't touch us. Like it can't because death isn't the end for us. And then I love Daniel's question in verse 8. He says this. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. Like quickly, if you've ever read something in the Bible and you didn't understand, this, this says it's okay. Right? Daniel is a smart man who can interpret dreams and visions. And, and God says, hey, this is what's going to happen. He goes, yeah, I hear you, bro, but I don't understand. And so if you ever read something you don't understand, it is okay to not understand. And then he says, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And so Daniel's question, he's been shown this battle going on between this northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, all these peoples fighting with one another, God's people being destroyed, this king's going to come. Remember, this hasn't happened yet for Daniel. And he's not asking questions about the vision. He's not wondering, hey, what, what's going to happen? What does this mean? Who is this king? What? He just says, cool, like, God, I know you're sovereign. I know you're in control. What happens in the end? But just tell me, how does it end? 
Because Daniel doesn't care about this earth because he knows that God is going to use whatever he faces for his good and God's glory. But the way that we see the future, our hope in the future affects how we handle today. What we believe about the future affects how we act today. And so this question is important because Daniel is saying, what is my future? What is my future hope? And then he's told. And we get the first swear word in the Bible. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. (laughs) JP, love that one too much. (laughs) Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from that time, the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There should be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. In the end, Daniel is told that he shall rest and he shall stand in his allotted place. And where is that? In heaven with Christ. Like Daniel, what what is your role in this? Just keep living a faithful life. And at the end of all days, you shall rest and you shall stand. Like church, if you're a Christian here this morning, our future is secure in Christ. Our name is written in the book. And at the end of all days, we shall rest and we shall stand with Jesus in heaven forever. Like our, our hope, our promise is everlasting life with Christ. It's greater than anything in this world. And so what we think about the future affects how we handle today, how we face troubles, how we face trials, how we face persecution, how we face our annoying colleagues, how we face hard times in our marriage, how we face our children when they won't listen, how we face the rest of the world, our neighbors, is all affected by what we think about the future. Um, there's this story of, to, to illustrate the point, there's a story of these two guys who uh, they're at war, not with each other on the same team and they they fall into an enemy's hole into into a hole in the ground the enemy's trap and the enemy comes over and goes hey you're going to be in this hole now for 10 years and one of them right before he fell in he found out that his wife was pregnant with a baby and the other one when he fell into the same hole he found out that his wife just died and so these two men in the same hole facing the same situation circumstances the one who found out that his wife just died the story goes that after three weeks, he curled up in a ball and just passed away. And the other one, whose future was to meet his child, he battled it out for 10 years until he got out of that thing because they had the same situation, the same circumstance that they were facing in that moment, but different futures. And so what we think about the future is going to affect how we handle today. Tim Keller illustrates this in a strange way, but it's a, it's a similar story. He says there's two men in a room, they've they've been given a job, and their job is for 10 hours a day to sit at a desk and spin a fidget spinner, just to spin that thing constantly. Some of us would would love it, but they're just, both of them, just to spin that fidget spinner, just how boring, monotonous. And one of them said, hey, at the end of the year, 10 hours a day, every day at the end of the year, we're going to give you 10 grand. And then the other is told, hey, at the end of 10 hours a day, at the end of the year, we're going to give you $10 million. And one of them, after spinning that little fidget spinner for like four days, goes, this is not worth it, and leaves and quits. Like, it's so boring. And the other one, he comes in, he's spinning, he's whistling, going, yeah, how, like, this is great, I love this thing. Look, round and round and round and round. Like, because they had the same situation, same circumstance, but different futures. 
And so how they see the future impacts how they handle today. Christians, we have the best future ever. Like, and it's secure and it's promised to us. And it's not because of anything we have done. It is better than $10 million. It is better than having family waiting for us. We have the God of heaven and earth going to welcome us into the body of Christ in the fullness of time, into all of glory. What's $10 million in the fullness and riches of Christ in the heavenly realms? Like, that's ours in Jesus. And so our future way outweighs anything that this world can offer us. Why? Because we get Jesus. And he is more than enough. Like his love is greater than our sin can ever be. His love is deeper than our deepest hurts and pains. And so we are called to face this life, to handle situations in different ways. Paul, Paul was a man who knew this better than anyone. Like that man was untouchable, right? Like he, he got bitten by snakes. He was thrown in prison. He was beaten. He was stoned. Like he faced so many things. Shipwrecked like 633 times. He just kept going. He's just like, yeah, cool. Like, none of this matters. Like, this man was untouched. You could not do anything to Paul. Like, Paul, we're going to kill you to die as gain. Paul, we'll keep you alive then to live as Christ. Like, he couldn't touch this man. Paul, fine, we'll torture you. Great momentary affliction, eternal way to glory. Like, fine, Paul, we'll throw you in prison. Give me a hymn to sing or convert all your guards and we'll worship the Lord. Like, there's nothing you could do to this man. He is untouchable. Why? Because his future was secure in Christ. And so there was nothing that this world could throw at them. There was nothing. And that is true for us here this morning, for those who know Jesus. And so while, yes, we are going to face hard times, in the end, God's people are going to face heightened tribulation and troubles. But we shall rest and we shall stand. And that is a promise for every single person. And so at the end of the day, we're going to rest, we're going to, we're going to die. And whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to come to a moment where you're going to stand before God. And the question is, okay, well, what are you doing with your sin in that moment? Are you going to take it with you? Because if, if you come with your sin with you, it's not going to end well for you. But if you leave your sins at the foot of the cross and place your hope in Jesus, then eternity is secure. And we're welcomed. And again, I, I, I love... I love Daniel's role in all of this. Like, Daniel's like, okay, cool. How do I get that future? How do I get that hope? What is my, what is my job? And the angel's like, yeah, Daniel, you just go your way. Like, you just go your way. I was trying to say, keep living how you're living. Keep trusting faithfully in God and being obedient to his word. And you shall rest and you shall stand. And this is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not that you were bad and now you were good. It's not that you used to do all these things and now you no longer do all these things. The gospel is that you were dead and Christ made you alive. That you were blind and he gave you sight to see. Like this is the good news of the gospel, that you were lost. And Jesus sought you and found you and welcomed your home. Like that's the gospel, not that you worked and earned your salvation. Like, like your, your nature, your, your status was dead, blind, and lost. Like that, that's, that's what we were. And Christ comes and lavishes his grace upon us. And because what he's done on the cross for us, he's given us life. He's opened our eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. And he welcomes us home with open arms.
And so that is the hope that we have. And that is what the book of Daniel has been saying over and over and over. And our hope is in the sovereign king who rules and reigns, who's going to come back one day and set up an everlasting kingdom. From the very first moment of this book, to the moment where the stone came in and knocked down the statue. In every single chapter, God is reminding his people, hey, I'm coming back and I'm going to set up my kingdom that's going to be ruling and reigning forever and you're welcome to be a part of it. If we place our faith and trust in the God above gods. And so church, yes, we're going to face tough times. We're going to be hard pressed, but we're not going to be defeated. Why? Because our hope is in the God who rules and reigns And our hope is a hope that never fades. Our hope is a hope that is eternal. Like everything in this world will fade away. Our desires fade away. Like think about your New Year's resolution. Yeah, I'm going to go to the gym. Done. By February, you're back on the couch with a pizza. Like everything we have, look at our material possessions. They all fade. You get the new iPhone. I'm going to keep this one good. By day three, you're dropping it. Ah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You get a new car. Oh, yeah, I'm keeping this guy clean, right? By day three, there's Macca's trash in the bottom. (laughs) Like everything in this world fades away. It does. But that's not our hope. Our hope doesn't fade. Why? Because Jesus' commitment to us doesn't fade. Because Jesus' love doesn't fade. Because his faithfulness doesn't fade. His beauty doesn't fade. Jesus doesn't fade. And so our hope doesn't fade. Our hope never fades. Because God is the one who sits on the throne. And then I thought we better quickly just talk about these 1,290 days and the 1,335 days and what they mean, right? Well, we don't actually know. So, all right, let's pray. No, no, we we don't. We don't fully know as Christians. There is some contention around what they mean. Uh, If I had to personally guess, I would say that the 1,290 days talks about the time after the Antichrist has come into power that God's going to put an end to it. He's going to come in and go, no, you're done. And then the 45 days later, no idea. Like maybe the point where then God sits on his throne and judges mankind. I don't, I, we just don't know. But what we do know, what this does point to is the fact that it's going to come to an end. Like there will be a moment in history where there'll be no more suffering There'll be no more evil. There'll be no more power of sin over our lives. The presence of sin will be gone and it'll be joy unending. And so as we read these these days and these times of what is going to happen, it's not a bad thing to try and figure it out, but we need to ask, what's the ultimate point of it? What is it pointing to? It's pointing to the fact that God is going to come and put an end to it all and say, done. And we're going to rise with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth with a new body in his kingdom forever and ever. And that is our hope. And that is the hope that we get from Daniel. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are the king of kings, that you rule and reign over earth, over all creation, over the galaxies, And you are also the God who is near, the God who is close, the God who looked upon his creation in darkness and sin and said, let me go to them. And Jesus, you came and you lived the perfect life. 
you walked amongst us. And you went to the grave, you went to the, went to the cross and you died the death that we deserved. And then you rose again and it's in that resurrection from the grave that our hope is found. That one day we will rise with you in eternity. And so God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Daniel that has encouraged our hearts to know even though there is tough times ahead, the promise of the gospel is that we do not need to lose heart because you have overcome the world and because our future is secure in you. And so God, would you help us this week to live lives with our eyes on the future, with the perspective of the future, knowing at the end of all things, you're going to establish your kingdom forever. And God, would you help us to live lives worthy of the gospel, to encourage each other, to edify each other, continually pointing each other towards you and your goodness and your grace. And Lord, we just ask that you continue to use us for your work. And it's in your wonderful and your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.